morning, church. Scripture lesson today is from a 13th chapter of Luke, verses 1 through 9, and I'm reading from the Common English Bible Translation. Some who were present on that occasion told Jesus about the Galileans, whom Pilate had killed while they were offering sacrifices. He replied, do you think the suffering of these Galileans proves that they were more sinful than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. What about those 18 people who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think that they were more guilty of wrongdoing than everyone else who lives in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. Jesus told them this parable. A man owned a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. He, told to, he said to his gardener, look, I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree for the past three years, and I've not found any. Cut it down. Why should it continue depleting the soil's nutrients? The gardener responded, Lord, Give it one more year, and I will dig around it and give it fertilizer. Maybe it will produce the fruit fruit next year. If not, then you can cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. Will you please pray with me? Good and gracious God, we give thanks for the day and thanks for your spirit that fills our lives and fills our world. And we pray that through your spirit, we will hear your word for us today. Amen. So the lectionary is, is a schedule of readings followed by churches in different denominations all over the world. And the idea is that if you uh, follow the lectionary, you'll get a, a representative swath of, of the whole Bible over the course of three years. It also has uh, the benefit of helping pastors plan their vacations. Like, for example, this week I saw the scripture and I thought, what is going on here? This doesn't make any sense. How in the world did I preach this last time three years ago? So I looked back and found that I had conveniently planned to be out of town the last time this text came up. But I can't run forever, so let's go ahead and, and take a look at really what is going on here. In, in the, the opening section of our passage, some folks ask Jesus why certain people were the victims of state violence and why some other folks were killed in an accident. They want to know, did these people do something to deserve their terrible fate. And that, that question, really at the root of it, is, is kind of one of the most central questions that, that flows throughout all religious traditions. Why do some people suffer while others thrive? Is it because of something they did? Is it sin? Is it bad karma? Why does this happen? And these are not only religious questions, these questions loom kind of like in the background of everyone's psyche, 
It's just that usually we kind of keep them at bay. Because rationally, just rationally, we know that tomorrow we could get in a tragic car accident or get diagnosed with cancer or lose a loved one. But, but that's overwhelming to think about all the time. It's, it's hard to go through life while constantly remembering our vulnerability to suffering and death. I mean, just, just speaking from experience, if I attempt to like contemplate mortality while also trying to remember the six things I need to pick up from the grocery store in order to make dinner, I'm gonna end up making a second trip to the store. So we, we just don't think about it. We, we push those thoughts out of our minds until tragedy strikes close to home. Until something happens around us, near to us, that reminds us it could have been us. And then those questions start invading our minds. I think that's, that's the situation in our scripture. People have died in a, in a seemingly random and unjust way. So their neighbors know, like, that, that could have been us who perished. So they go to their teacher and ask, Jesus, why were those people killed? Was it because of something they did? And I bet, I bet they kind of want Jesus to say, yeah, they did something to deserve this. I bet, I, actually, on, on some level, all of us want that. We want the answer to be, be yes, because if their death was caused by something they did wrong, then we don't have to worry. Then we actually do have control over what happens to us. We just need to make sure we keep our noses clean and we won't have to live in fear. But Jesus doesn't tell them what they want to hear. He, he goes the other direction. He says, no, it's not because of anything they did or didn't do. They're not dead because they were bad and you're not alive because you're, you're good. Things just happen. Sometimes... People are violent, and innocent people get caught in the middle. Sometimes buildings fall down, and it's not because God is keeping score. So, you need to repent or you will die like them. Wait, what? <laughs> I, I thought they didn't do anything wrong. So, why is, why is Jesus then telling everyone to repent? I think what's, what's going on here is that, that Jesus knows they're asking the question because they want to hear a particular answer. They want to hear that they don't need to change. They want to hear that bad things happen to other people, people who deserve it, so they can just go back to living their lives as they always have. But, but Jesus tells them, don't get comfortable based on your your sense of moral superiority. You're not better than them. You actually don't know what will happen in your life. You can't control what happens to you. And in fact, the only place that you'll find the security you seek is in God. 
So quit waiting around, quit looking for easy outs. Now is the time to turn to God. And really that whole first section of the scripture, it's a, it's a call to action, a call to stop waiting around, to, to change your life. It, it reminds me of a, like a bunch of times that Jesus does similar stuff to this. When, when Jesus says, drop your nets and follow me, or let the dead bury the dead. Like, stop waiting until change is easy. Now's the time. But, but then right after this sort of urgent call to repent, the, the scripture totally turns. As Jesus introduces a parable about a fig tree that's not producing figs, this tree is failing to get figgy with it. It's terrible. It's a horrible joke that I made in the office and Amanda promised to, she said, this is my last week. You have to make a bad joke. So that's your going away present. But we're back. Um, the, the person who, who owns the vineyard, he's, he's frustrated that, that the tree has no figs. So he wants to cut it down. But the gardener says, let's give it some time time to to put down fertilizer and make sure water reaches the roots let's give some time for the tree to grow and mature this tree needs love and attention not not cold rash judgment and and that's sort of the whole parable so what's that mean and how's it connected to the bit before we'll, we'll start with with what it means I think we often read this parable presuming that that God is the landowner, Jesus is the gardener, and we are a very bad fig tree. But if, if, that, if we go with that reading, that means that, that God's sort of uh, judgmental and uncaring. But Jesus is loving and patient, but that would also mean that Jesus and God want different things, which doesn't really fit with the idea that, that Jesus is the manifestation of God's presence on earth. And, and I think, too, just like any time uh, we read the scripture where Jesus and God turn into good cop, bad cop, I, I start to get a little nervous. And, and honestly, I think that, that we are probably more like the landowner than God is. Like, we're the ones that are quick to judge and ready to condemn when when someone doesn't live up to our expectations. And, well, and because it's easy for us to condemn others, we probably know what it feels like to be condemned. We, we know what it's like to be the fig tree, too. You know, feeling threatened because we don't meet others' expectations, even if we want to. So I guess when I see the landowner, I don't, hear the voice of God. I, I hear the voice of the accuser, the voice of the adversary telling us to judge others' worth based on what fruit they provide for us. The, the voice telling us that if we don't produce fruit, then we're worthless. But alongside those voices, there is the other voice, the voice of the gardener. The, the gardener holds back judgment, and calls forth life. 
the gardener says to that, that voice of the accuser, give it a rest. Give it some time. Be, because the gardener knows that, that growth is slower than any of us would like. The, the gardener knows not to judge the tree before we provide the nutrients the tree needs to thr thrive. The, the gardener knows this is not the time for death because life is still possible. So to me, the gardener sounds like the voice of Jesus, the voice of God offering grace and care, giving us time, putting faith in us, reminding us that death doesn't get the last word. And, and I think we really, we need that gardener because often the possibility of life is hard to see. Sometimes it's, it's hard to believe that others can change, hard to believe that we can change. Even, you know, that, I think even after we're given time, it's hard to believe that maybe anything is happening. Because now what? You know, we're, we're covered in fertilizer? I mean, stinky, rotting fertilizer that makes people wonder if they stepped in something when they pass by. That kind of feels true, that growth is dirty and smelly and messy and doesn't really look like growth at all. But, but this, this metaphor, this parable of growth is, is, is also beautiful and miraculous. It's this deeply ingrained cycle of, of death and new life. Because, you know, fertilizer, it, it's made from organic matter that was once living, but now has died. And, and it slowly decomposes and provides the nutrients we need to grow and flourish. And of course, this takes time. So we need patience and grace with ourselves and, what, and with others. Because looking at that tree from a distance, we, we never know what is preparing to spring forth next year. And, and I think that, I guess that's the point of the parable, that even though someone might appear to be worthless, even though we might feel worthless, Jesus sees that life is possible. And yeah, the, the process might stink. It might take some time, but God has faith in us, and God gives us that grace to grow. And, and we put that alongside the, you know, Jesus' response to why bad things happen. It, it gives us this really beautiful tension. On one hand, life is short. If we want to change, change now. But on the other hand, life takes time. Patience is essential for life, and, and we can't let death set the pace. And, and so we kind of find ourselves in the middle, in between urgency and grace. Like, we know we need to change and grow, and we know we need grace for ourselves and others. So we, we take some time, we set aside time, we set aside a season for growth. And, and we call it Lent, which, you know, Lent actually comes from the old English word that means spring season, the planting season, the growing season. 
the season of repentance and change. We know the process takes time, and we know we need it. And we have that lived out in our service, where we actually set aside a good chunk of time for repentance. We, we take time to remember that, that repentance isn't merely what saves us from the acts. Repentance is the beginning of the process to grow. So we take time to confess together, to reflect, and then also to, to write and to break. So we're now going to take some time. Amanda's going to come up and play some music, and we'll have a little time set aside to prepare our hearts and minds to turn towards God. Amen. <laughs>